All right. Well, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Trevor, like Andrew said, and I am a junior at UNO this year. Um, and it's my pleasure to be here with you guys tonight. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and open us up in prayer again. Um, Lord God, just thank you so much for this time to come together tonight, Father. Just gather as your people to worship you and just sit underneath your word, Lord. And I pray that that's what it would be, God, that we are all just sitting underneath your word, God, that it wouldn't be my words that people are listening to, God, but that um, you would just communicate through me, Lord, on just open ears, God. Help us to search our hearts tonight, um, just to examine ourselves and the promises that we are holding on to of this world, God, when we need to be holding on to your promises, the only promises that will stand forever, Father. Um, Jesus, it is in your name that I pray. All right. Awesome. And so I'm just going to go ahead and start by um, just jogging your memories on where we're at in our series. Um, So like he said, we're going to be in Hebrews 8 tonight. So you can go ahead and open your Bibles or phones or whatever you use up to there now. But um, so we've mentioned it before, but the book of Hebrews is written to the Hebrews who were Jewish Christians. They were people that at the beginnings of their lives were raised in Jewish families and then at one point or another converted to Christianity um, to where they had experienced the gospel, gripped onto it, and surrendered their lives to Christ. And so the purpose of this book then is for, to encourage them to endure, to hang on, and to not run back to that past faith that they had in the Jewish tradition. And so um, in our specific passage tonight, the author lays out the case for these Christians to hold fast to God's promises that are in the new covenant. Up to this point, in the first verse of the passage tonight, it says, now the point in what we're saying is this. So it's basically saying everything that's led up to, um, so far is for what we're moving forward to from tonight. So we've been resting in this fact that Jesus is the high priest, that he is worthy um, of something. And that is tonight we see the new covenant enter. And so everything is building up to Jesus bringing us the new covenant. So to start, I want to ask you guys a question. Um, I want you guys just to examine yourselves a little bit. So what are some promises that you've held on to throughout your life? What are some things that the world has told you or that things that you assume from the world? Um, this could be things like family and how family will be the solid rock throughout our entire lives or a promise from a friend in high school, they would stand by your side forever or a promise from the world that if you look a certain way, that you will be liked and you will be loved and you'll be able to find the love of your life someday. Um, just really search yourself. And so while you're thinking about that, I'm going to go ahead and tell a little bit about my own story, um, and specifically my family. So growing up, family was always something that was super important to me, and I was super close with my family. Um, I had a mom and a dad that loved me, my brother and my sister, um, so much, and we would just always do so many fun things together. And to me, like what I said a second ago, that was my family. That, they were going to be my rock throughout my whole life, where if anything was going wrong, I'd be able to give them a call or go home and just feel at peace and feel refreshed. Um, And this was up until junior year of high school that this is how I viewed my family. And then 
Um, for those of you that don't know, I'm from Blair. Shout out to all you Blair folk out there. I know there's a few. There we go. Um, but so I went to a church and the youth group I was at, um, Clay, who's actually on staff here, spoke last week, was my youth pastor at my church there. And we were on a retreat. Um, it's actually just right down the road here. Um, but where we were at the hotel one of the nights, uh, we were in a big group discussion, um, about 20 of us sitting in a circle, and there's a question going around the room that if there's one thing in your life that you would change, what would it be? And it was crazy. It seemed like about half the people in the room were saying that divorce was the thing that they would change. That out of all the things in their lives that they could possibly change, that divorce was the one thing that going back, they would want that to be reversed and have their parents be together. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, man, I am so lucky to have a family that loves me, cares for me, that I can always run to, that's all together. Like, man, I'm one of the lucky ones. And I was just really clinging on to that promise that my family is going to be there for the rest of my life. And literally two weeks later, two weeks I get a phone call from my dad on my way home from school, and he asked me if I was going to golf or um, it was raining or something, or if I was going to be coming home. I said, no, got canceled. We'll be home in a bit. I said, okay, um, mom and I have some things that we need to tell you, your brother and your sister. And so I get home in the kitchen. They bring us all around and break the news to us that they were separating. And I don't want to peg my parents as bad guys Um, There's sin on all of our parts. Uh, It's no one person's fault. They still love us. Nobody deserted us. But since that point, there has been an immeasurable amount of pain in all five of us. And our family is nowhere even close to what it would be. be. Um, Even within the past year, there's been new tensions between um, just certain members of the five of us. And it's just so difficult. And it's literally like one area of, where, of my life where I just, it's just so hard for me to feel that same just comfort and love that I used to. Um, and so just in saying this, I want to say that we can never trust these things. We can never trust these promises and hold on to these things, even things that seem like they're the most firm, like in school, People promise you that you work hard, you put forth your effort, you'll get that job, you'll get that internship, and you'll live that comfortable life. But we can just never be assured of that because all of these promises are just based in sinful earth on sinful people. And if, if these um, promises are rooted with people that have the ability to fail, they will fail. That's just the way that the world works. And so... Um, So all of our promises here on earth are bound to collapse, as we'll soon see, because they're rooted in that sin. But ultimately, in Christ, he is the only one where we can find promises that will stand for all of eternity. Promises that can just reach the depths of our heart and go on forever. So all of our souls are searching for this truth. All of our souls are looking for those things that will be able to last forever. All of our souls are searching, searching for how do I best love my family? How do I best love my, my girlfriend? How do I best make it through school so I can get that internship? What are the promises that you do this, this will happen? We're searching for these things. But tonight, we're going to look to the promises of Christ. And I'm going to do that um, with two, um, two parts. The first half is the better priest and showing, okay, this is why Christ this is why he's reliable. This is why we can trust him and his promises. And then the second half 
is the better covenant. So better priest, better covenant. The better covenant, that's where we find these just deep-rooted promises of Christ. Um, So we're going to start by just reading through uh, the first five verses of Hebrews chapter 8 one more time. Starts with saying, now the point in what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it's necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not have been a priest at all, since the priests are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Okay, I want to ask you one more question. What is it that makes a promise trustworthy? What is it that makes something that somebody tells you worth listening and that you know that it's true and you can trust what they're saying? I would say that it's the giver of that promise that makes the promise itself trustworthy. That a promise is only as powerful as the one from whom it's coming. And before we can even begin to trust any promises that we hear, we have to first trust the person that's giving us that promise. We're not just going to take something that somebody tells us and say, oh yeah, that's true, I believe you. Like, no, we need to make sure that that person's not just some bum that knows nothing, but we want to make sure that he's credible in what he's saying, that we can trust the words that are coming out of his mouth. So now in this first half of the sermon, we're going to look and see, okay, this is why we should trust the work of Christ in giving us the new covenant and giving us these new promises. And so I would argue, um, just in one sentence, that Jesus is trustworthy because he is the Son of God who achieved perfection on earth and is now raised to minister from the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Let me build this out a little bit. Okay, so before giving their lives to Christ, the Hebrews had held on to the promises and truths of the old covenant. So some of these promises would include sacrifices, that um, if the promise was, okay, if you sacrifice these certain animals, then your sins will be taken off of you. And then there's the priests that, okay, if you go to these priests, they will help you to do these sacrifices and they will intercede for you in that sense. Um, And then the priests were in the temple where there was promised that the presence of God was going to be in the temple, um, that the prophets would speak on God's behalf, Um, and that all of this would just be brought together by the law. And these were the promises that they based their lives on. And then they had completely flipped everything when they became Christians. Because like I said earlier, the recipients of this letter or book, sermon, whatever it is, we're not sure, um, the recipients of this shifted completely over to Christianity to where they were no longer bound to these laws of the Old Testament. So something had to have been in there that, was, that just really got them to change their minds. And Jesus must have had, as the giver of those new promises and the new covenant, some pretty mad credentials for that to come into existence. So why was Jesus worthy of this complete overhaul? Why was he worthy to literally change everything in their lives. So verse 1 tells the point what we're saying is this. And so that's where I said a little bit ago, points back to the last few weeks with him as the high priest. 
And so those are kind of setting the scene, and now we're going to touch back on some of those things again here. And so they set the scene for Christ as a supreme mediator of this new covenant, which is rooted in the better promises. And so as we continue in verse 1, it says, um, So we have such a high priest, one who's seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. So we look there and we see the word seated, and that's important. Um, so the fact that Jesus is seated, um, it gives us this idea of completion, that he's done. When a man is done with a hard day at work, he goes home and sits in his lazy boy because what he has been doing is done. He's done for the day. Um, so we look at the priests in the Old Covenant, and there was a continuous cycle of sacrifices that they had to do. Just all day long, every single day, they were offering sacrifices, and then they would sin, so they had to offer sacrifices for themselves, and then they'd do some more sacrifices for people, and just like this ongoing thing of sacrifices. But what we see Jesus say in John 19, verse 30, is that it is finished, it's done. It was a once and for all payment that Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. And now he is seated at the right hand of God in heaven, which is the next thing. Not only is he seated, but he's in heaven. He's no longer on earth, but he resurrected um, to heaven. Um, and so Jesus made this offering, a perfect offering once and for all. Later on in verse 3 here, it says that um, for every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it's necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Um, So Jesus, as a high priest, needed to have something to offer. So he offered himself once and for all for all of humanity. And then he sat down at the right hand of the Father, finished. Um, And then going on in verse 2, it says, he's ministering in the holy places in the true tent, the the true tent. That's referring to the tabernacle. Some of you may have heard of that before. What that was is in the Old Testament, that's where the presence of God was. God was in the tabernacle. This was something that Moses um, and Aaron had built according to the specifications that God gave them. And what it was was a picture of heaven. They built it exactly to the specifications that God gave them to make it basically a model of heaven where God's presence would be just like God's presence um, is in heaven. And that's the place where they would do that. And it says here that Jesus is ministering in the true tent. So again, this idea that he is in heaven, no, not in the copy, but in the real thing, in the real deal. And This is super important to look at um, because the fact that Jesus is in heaven. um, In verse 4, it's kind of interesting. It says that if he'd been on earth, he wouldn't have been able to be a priest at all. So why wouldn't he have been able to be a priest? That doesn't really make a ton of sense um, because um, we see in Psalm 110, David promised that Jesus would be a priest. Um, And so he wouldn't have been able to because he was from a different family, ultimately, is what it came down to. That the law required that priests be in the family of Levi and Jesus was in the family of Judah. Just wouldn't make sense. And even even if they would have been able to fudge the system a little bit and make him a priest, he wouldn't have been able to do anything different because he still would have been bound to the law that they had here on earth. And so the fact that he was separated in heaven in a different context allowed him to put into place a different system. The fact that he was operating in this new place, in this new context, allowed him to bring in something totally and completely new. He's not bound to the old system of laws and principles. He's not bound to the things that the world had done for thousands of years, the people that were following God, but he was able to bring in something new, some new promises that would last 
forever. Um, and so, um, yeah, so these things where it's a question of, okay, are we going to put our hope in the stability of the original, which is heaven, or the insecurity of the copy, which is on earth? So ultimately, like I said, the tabernacle, the priests, the sacrifices, all of these things are just a copy and a picture of what Jesus does for us in the, just the spectrum of eternity. The sacrifices represent Jesus' one-time sacrifice for us. Um, the temple or the tabernacle represents heaven and Jesus' eternal rule and ministry um, from heaven. And then we have the priests, which represent Jesus himself. So it's just these little copies. Um, so why would we want to have fellowship with just a mere picture image of it when we can have fellowship with the real thing, with just the true substance of Christ who's in heaven forever? Um, we like to hold on to things that we can see and touch and have a quick payout for us. And so it would have been super easy for the Hebrews here to run back to their old lives um, of their Jewish customs because it was all just right there. Um, um, it was all right there for them. They were able to run to the temple if they wanted to be in God's presence. They were able to go and actually talk and converse with the priests. They were able to physically see the animals dying and the blood being spilled for their sins. It was all just so tangible and right there. And I think we do the same thing. We like to go to things that we can see the immediate payout. We like to go to school and get these grades because we can see the internships coming. We can see our grades. We can see our future starting to kind of um, lay out in front of us. And all of these things that we like to put our hope in are things that just we can grasp. And it's hard for us to put our hope and our trust in promises that are kind of uncertain and that we can't see. And this is exactly what um, they were doing here. And they're just encouraging them, no, don't hold to these things. Don't hold to the things that you used to hold on to. No, hold on to me. Hold on to the promises that I gave you um, as Christ. And so our author is pleading with us here to take a second look and to see that Christ's heavenly promises are actually so much more desirable than the other lesser um, but yet tangible things that we hold on to here on earth, although they might seem super appealing to go and work out so that we can get into shape, so that we can get the girl, and it's like boom, 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 it's the steps that are laid out in front of us, that ultimately these things will fail us and we'll, we will get saggy and ugly at some point in our lives, um, all of us. I'm sorry, nobody escapes. Um, and so, now we're going to look at the promises that Christ gives us. We've now seen that he is separated. He is in a different context. He is outside of sinful humanity. He is not on this earth. He has zero pride in him whatsoever, and he won't pass away. He will not shatter like the things on this earth. And so verse 6 propels us into my second point, and it says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it's enacted on better promises. So what are these promises? So throughout the Bible, God made promises to his people in the form of covenants. And the promises that Jesus brought in are the promises of the new covenant. And the pro some of the old promises were 
the one where God made with Noah, where he said that he would never bring a flood um, again to cover the entire earth and wipe out humanity. He made a covenant with Abraham that his offspring would um, be as many as the stars. And then the covenant I've been talking the most about was the old covenant, which he made with Moses. Um, and it was the covenant on stone, on um, the tablets, to where it was, this was the rules and the sacrificial system that was set up before Jesus. And so now Jesus is bringing this, these things to a close by bringing into existence what these things were all pointing towards anyway. That these old covenants were ultimately, their purpose was to propel us on to Christ. Um, and so this is all of these things coming to fruition. And I'm going to talk about three promises tonight that we gather from our text, which um, is cool is it's actually um, just a straight quote from the book of Jeremiah in chapter 31. And it was just, um, it was a quote from God. So it's not like the words of Paul per se, but it's in the Bible. It's all the word of God, but this is just actually God speaking straight to us and straight into our hearts. So the first promise I'm going to look at is the promise of God's grace promise of God's grace. And I'm going to read verses 7 and 8 for this one. As for if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And the key words I want us to look at in this, that he, that he says six times in the passage, um, but I'm just going to specifically look at them right here, that God says, I will set up this covenant. There are zero qualifiers for that statement. It is an unconditional statement where God says, I don't care what you guys do. I'm going to put my new covenant of new promises in regardless. There's nothing that you guys can do to stop that. And I'm going to do it. But the beautiful thing is that this covenant is entirely for our good and our, because God has found favor in us through Christ. So the new covenant comes in through Jesus. And so God says, okay, I'm going to give you guys eternal blessing because I want to, because I love you. Um, so in a sense, this is God promising his promises, that he's saying, okay, all of these promises I'm giving you in the new covenant, I promise you, I will give you those, and they will last forever, that I will put these things into action. And so the new covenant is not reliant or contingent on man's faithfulness to God, but instead it's contingent and completely rooted in God's faithfulness to man to follow through on the words that he said he would do. Okay, promise number two. This is the promise of an internal change, a change in our hearts. And this is in verses 9 through 11. It says, It will not be like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will now make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall already know me from the least of them to the greatest. So, um, the reason 
the one and single reason why the old covenant failed is not because God did a bad job when he brought the covenant into place. It's not because God failed us. It's because we failed God. That it's our own sinful nature, man's sinful nature, that caused that covenant to fail because they could not walk um, in step with the, um, what God commanded of them. And so sinful man's given responsibility. Um, and every time man is given responsibility, they will fail. Um, so with the promises I asked you to think about earlier, every time a man is given responsibility over something to follow through on these promises, man's not going to be able to follow through on these. And we're not going to be able to put our hope and our trust in humans. And I'm going to jump to Romans chapter 8 right now. And I'll be going back there in a little bit as well. So if you just want to put a finger over there, we're going to read verses 7 and 8. And it says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So there's nothing in us that is able to please God. There's nothing in us that's able to give God glory. Everything that's inside of us wants to seek what we want and to rebel from God. Our hearts want to run away from him as fast as we can and never pay any attention to him. And there is not one good thing that we can do to glorify God. And so this is what happened with man in the law. And so... The law created for us a standard for obedience, but it didn't give us the power to obey. Law created the standard for obedience, but it didn't give us the means and the ability within to actually follow through on that. And so the promises rooted in man's ability to follow through or perform will fail. Anything that man um, promises us that requires us to perform in a certain way or to do something um, in a certain manner, we will fail every time. We cannot put our ultimate trust in man because we cannot do anything to ultimately please and glorify the Lord. However, this is where we see God's promise through Christ, the promise for an internal change upon surrendering ourselves to him. I'm going to go to Romans 8 again for this in verses 1 through 4. Let's see here. It says, There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so God has, in the form of the Holy Spirit, given us the ability to walk in step with him. That the promise that when we give our lives to Christ, when we have Christ on our hearts, when his blood is covering us and we're made white as snow— that we are now able to walk with the Lord. We are able to glorify him. We're able to please him now because the Holy Spirit is inside of us, interceding for us, acting on our behalf. We have the Spirit of God inside of us. And if this isn't the ability to walk in step with the Lord, I don't know what is. 
Um, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful thing that there's this internal change, that it's not us having to go and walk to the temple to be in the presence of God, to sacrifice for um, our own sins and to do our own good things to cover ourselves. But he is literally inside of us, interceding for us, if we have, in fact, surrendered our lives to him, and he does cover us. It's such a beautiful promise. So the third promise now is the promise of mercy and forgiveness. These are two things that were never a part of the Old Testament law. Mercy and forgiveness were never a thing. It was always, like I said, you go and do this so that you can be clean. You go and do this, and then you can be set free from your sins. It was never, okay, I'm not going to hold this against you anymore because I'm having mercy on you and I'm forgiving you and choosing not to condemn you for these things now. That was never a thing. It was always on us. It was always on man to have to follow through on these things. But what we see in verse 12 is the complete opposite. It says, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Two statements right there, two unconditional statements again. Two things that God says, there is nothing that you have to do. It is simply, if Christ is indeed covering you, I will not remember your sins anymore. That's not saying that God's simply just going to forget that they happen because that's not in God's character. That's not a quality that he has. God knows all things. It's simply saying, okay, I am no longer going to hold these things against you. I am no longer going to pour my wrath out on you for these things because Jesus has already taken the weight of my wrath for these things. So all who have chosen to surrender their lives to Jesus Christ, by the grace of God, have this forgiveness. All people who have Jesus covering them, all people who have chosen to accept the love and the grace of Jesus, have their sins paid for, that God doesn't look on our sins anymore. So all past, present, future failures are covered. All things that you look back and all the things that you gripped onto and held onto with your dear life. When you were in high school, you look back, we all were, not all, all did some pretty weird things in high school. But um, all the things in our past, things that you did today to rebel against God, things that you did today to walk outside of what God has for you and anything that you will do in the future when you choose to rebel against God and choose your own ways, it is all paid for, all covered, all satisfied through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so because of Christ, God has chosen not to hold our sins against us because his justice was satisfied in his perfect son who bore all of his wrath, which was meant for you and me. And so I'm going to wrap it up with just one final overarching blanket, blanket promise, which is the promise of eternal security. The promise that we are always secure in the promises that God has for us and the things that he offers for us. And so what, um, what the Hebrews didn't know when this letter sermon was being given to them was that in verse 13 when it says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what's becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to vanish away. 
What they didn't know was that everything that they knew in their past Jewish life was literally about ready to physically be swept away. Less than 10 years after this was written, the Romans came and completely annihilated the city of Jerusalem and the temple that they called the house of God. This place where they would run to be in God's presence was literally brought to the ground where it was no longer there. And I promise you, this will be those promises that you hang on to that are not Jesus, that they will fail you. At some point in this life, these things will fall away. The, um, yeah, it's because these promises um, were rooted in things of the earth, and they will simply pass away with the earth. It's the same thing with, any, it's the same thing with anything or anybody we put our own hope in. Um, like family, regardless of how good something seems, it can always fall away. Regardless of how firm and stable something in our life seems and how much we, we can say like, oh, that'll never, ever happen. Not with my friends, not with my family, not with my career. As much as we say that, we don't know. And because we're all on earth, there is always the possibility and the likelihood that these things will fail us. So do not hang on to these things. Do not have your promises rooted in heaven. Hold fast to the promises that we have here. Hold fast to the fact that we have the Spirit of Christ living in us. Hold fast to the fact that Jesus is in heaven, that he is in the eternal kingdom that will never pass away. He's not on this earth in a place that's going to pass away, that's going to be destroyed. The kingdom of heaven cannot be destroyed. And so for the skeptic in the room that says, okay, how can you say that it will never change again if the entire premise of your sermon tonight is the fact that it changed? Like, how can you promise that to me? And what I would say to him is that it's because our perfect Lord paid the price once, and he's now seated in an unshakable kingdom in heaven, and his cry that it is finished says it all, that it is finished, that everything in the past was simply pointing towards what God was doing all along. Everything that happened in the past was pointing to what Jesus would do for us. Everything was pointing to him, and it is done and finished, and this is what it will always be, and we can have confidence that these promises will stand forever. Our hope is secure in knowing that all is accomplished and paid for, and the presence of Christ is deep into the fabric, fabric of our being as believers. So one more time, I'm going to say, hold fast to these promises. Flee from contentment and promises that will collapse. Money is going to run out. Our bodies will grow old. We will get laid off and fired from our jobs. Families will separate and friends will abandon. But our King Jesus will never leave our hearts and his promises will stand for all of eternity. So hold firm and hold fast to his promises and live your life in light of this eternal gospel. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this good word, Lord. Thank you for this word that you are the, king, the eternal father. You are our eternal king that is seated at the right hand of the father because it is finished. You paid the price once for all, for all of us. 
Lord. And if there's anybody in this room that hasn't surrendered their, their hearts to you, God, I pray that they would hear this message, that they would hear this gospel, Lord, and that they would choose to accept you into their hearts, Lord. That they would say, Jesus Christ is my Savior. He died for me on the cross, and I surrender myself to him and his promises. Lord, help us to not hold to the promises of this earth, God, because we know that they will pass away, God, because we have seen them pass away in the past. We have seen them fail us, Lord, but let us know and see the fact that you have never failed us and you never will fail us ever, Lord. And so let us rest in the fact that your eternal kingdom will stand forever and we will one day be with you in this eternal kingdom, Father. In your name I pray, amen.